Good morning. For those of you who I haven't met before, um, my name is Rachel Rogers. I'm an aspirant to UU Ministry living in Nashville. It's been my joy to visit this congregation regularly for the past couple of years. So it's my joy again this morning to be with you. Um, the last time I was with you, we talked about ways we can make habits of blessing our days and infuse ritual into everyday moments. I hope that those of you who heard that message found some blessings there and have had, if even just once, the sense that an everyday moment has been lifted out of the mundane. And since I was with you, my mind has stayed in similar places, focusing on recognizing the ways I find my everyday life linked to the divine. At the end of each day, I find myself gently scanning the details of my day, highlighting moments of awe or mystery. And as I go about my business day by day, I'm diligently doing my best to pause and honor each and every time I experience some meaning-making or life-affirming connection. I'm a believer in naming out loud when joy is present. I'm a practitioner of letting you know when emotion is coming up for me in a particular moment, because that means that a connection is being made, sometimes between us, sometimes within myself. And while I've always been someone who was looking for connection like this, I can't say that I'm always someone who has recognized it in myself. I spent what I remember now is almost the entirety of my young life actually desperate for these moments of connection to spirit. I spent so much time and energy just desperate for a connection to the God I was raised to revere, and it seemed to never come. As a kid, that meant that mine was a lonely faith, because I prayed and prayed and prayed for conviction that would never come. I remember all but begging to God to convict me that all I was being taught by my family, by their church, was true. And when it didn't happen, when I didn't perceive that God was talking back to me, or that he deemed it correct to answer any one of my prayers in a way that I could recognize, I felt like a failure. And I felt like a fraud. At the same time, though, I was a deeply feeling child, a sensitive one. An anecdote I've often used to describe my condition of big feelings is a time in the sixth grade when my teacher, who I loved very much, she was very cool, was talking to the class for some forgotten reason about what it meant to be a sensitive person, like what sensitivity was. And she used me as an example to the class about what it meant to be sensitive. I heard the oh no, and I cried. So that's, that's me, that's, I was born this way, like just big old feelings and they're always out there. I spent my childhood also imagining huge daydreams. I devoured books. I loved the feeling of being swept away by a story. As early as the fourth or fifth grade, music became a huge part of my life. The music I listened to was a balm for me, and some of it feeling so personal, and this is a very teenage feeling, feeling so personal that I couldn't imagine anyone connecting to it as deeply as I was. <laughs> I also loved big. My friendships were rich and layered. I made art with my friends. We wrote stories together. We dreamt of big futures and making an impact on the world. I felt all of this connection. And yet somehow, I thought that my lack of connection to God, one that felt personal and real, negated all of that and left me as an untethered soul. 
As I've mentioned to you before, those of you who I've known, I let the faith I was raised in, I left it for good around my mid-20s. And with that choice, I also, for a time, threw out the baby of spirituality in general with the bathwater of conservative Christianity. Like so many before me, probably even some of you, I spent a fair number of years believing that spirituality was an unnecessary sham, and at my most angry, I labeled it as a self-indulgent crutch. I had prayed and prayed for God to show himself to me, and he never did. So I was done, thankfully. I was firmly planted in the real world, and I had no time, like no time, for religion. David Dark, if anyone's heard of him before, David Dark is a writer and a professor living in Nashville. He's an assistant professor in the College of Theology at Belmont. He's written several books, one of which is called Life's Too Short to Pretend You're Not Religious. In this book, he summed up my condition during that period of my life in his opening chapter. He writes, many among us feel so damaged by the spiritual abuse of our upbringing, so embarrassed by the strange and outrageous things we only recently believed so fervently that the word religion serves wonderfully well for drawing a line between brainwash and rational thought. He goes on to say, I'm not religious signals firmly that I'm done. I'm not falling for that backward madness anymore, and I won't be made to sit quietly when someone starts singing that sad, confusing song. He's a beautiful writer. So that period of hard boundaries was necessary for me. I got my feet underneath me. I started learning how to love myself more and drop the disappointment that came with failing at the Christianity of my youth. And as we all know, clearly, I found religion again in a fairly big way. And I am thankful for that fact and for this religion, this Unitarian Universalism, every single day. But I still remember very well, even in a visceral way, that feels very close to me still, how hesitant I was in the beginning of my journey into the UU faith to say that I was religious and also how nervous I was that I wouldn't be able to do it right somehow. I was still holding on to this belief somewhere deep within me that I was incapable of any kind of spiritual rigor or truly experiencing the divine. I was scared I would fail again. I remember very clearly a worship committee meeting early in my tenure as a member of my home congregation where we were discussing the six sources of Unitarian Universalism. I'm guessing many of you know these. We talk about the principles in worship a lot more than we talk about the sources of our living tradition. But when we were talking about the sources in that meeting, it was something that as a new UU, well, it carried some discomfort for me. Like for example, I wanting, wanted nothing to do at the time with the source that fills the fourth slot on this ordered list, which is Jewish and Christian teachings, which calls us all to respond to God's love by loving our neighbors as ourselves. Because one, I was allergic to the word Christian, and two, wait a minute, I was told there would be no God to contend with here. Another source on that list are the words and deeds of prophetic people, and that tripped me up too, because at first, while I only equated the word prophet with Bible stories about people that God favored so much that he whispered into their ear, and you can imagine, considering the personal history that is shared with you, that I didn't like those people very much. And then there was that first source on our list, which I know isn't meant to be any order of significance or importance, but still it's first. 
so it feels bigger. I'll read all of this one because this is where I want to spend the majority of the rest of my time kind of focusing. The first source of our living tradition as Unitarian Universalists is listed as the direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. This is music to my ears now, but at first it felt a little bit impenetrable to me. I'm gonna read it again. The direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. I love it now. I live in constant search for it and have had a practice, as I mentioned earlier, of trying to name the moments where I recognize it. But back then, as a baby UU, what I now compassionately name as religious trauma and wearing blinders to the truth of my own divinity, I found this source staring at me like a tall, thick brick wall with no door. Somehow, with all of my big feelings and my lifetime of connection to art and literature, I still didn't understand what that meant. I had always been so eager to be moved by a force greater than myself. But after a lifetime of attempts in a direction that, in truth, was never meant for me, I no longer knew if I was capable. I'd always been looking for a burning bush, and I feared that my capacity for faith wasn't big enough for me to ever find it. So back to this worship committee meeting, where I sat with a room full of laity and a few members of clergy for my church, where we have the joy of crafting the direction for upcoming worship services together as a group. And in that meeting, we were discussing having some services around the six sources, and I was squirming in my chair. The room was talking about direct experience as the most universally accessible of the choices, yet I didn't think I understood what it was, and I remember feeling like I was gonna fail the assignment. It felt like someone who was learning to speak a new language and didn't quite yet understand what was being spoken around me, so I got brave, and I just asked the room, can you explain to me exactly what direct experience is? Another committee member, Sarah, who was our ministerial intern at the time, many of you may know Sarah Green, she's a wonderful, wonderful person. She didn't skip a beat, and without an ounce of judgment, she just explained it simply. Oh, it's those experiences in our lives where we feel affirmed, like when we recognize our connection to the web of existence. She explained to me that really, it's just when something moves us deeply. Uh-huh. Whoa, I could do that, you know? That's accessible to me. That definition sounds something that, like something that happened to me all the time. The church wasn't depending on some booming voice from the sky or visions that appeared to us directly from some outside force. It recognized the divinity in each of us, the inherent worth and dignity, and proclaimed our inextricable connection to all things. And it claims, as I was learning, as one of many sources, the everyday experiences that move us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. When I started to figure this out, a light bulb turned on for me. And life actually hasn't been the same since. Because those moments that my friend Sarah described are everywhere. Understanding my own lived experience as a worthy source of spiritual connection 
began blessing every single day of my life. I could suddenly look back at the moments when I was most moved, when I felt most connected to others, and look at them not just as moments where my big feelings or highly sensitive nature took hold, but as spiritual touchstones or even milestones. I look back on the landscape of my life with new gratitude and reverence. And as I spent more time contemplating what this realization opened up for me, the map of my life became dotted with mile markers of connected, meaningful moments that I could look at with new eyes. For example, suddenly the memory of a 15-year-old me putting on headphones in the dark and listening to an entirety of an album for the first time, heart wide open, tears running down my cheeks with gratitude for the music. It was Tori Amos's voice for Pele, by the way. That's what it was, 1996. This was now not just recognizable to me as a fond memory of loving music, but it's a life-affirming experience for me. To stay in the music vein, because I could do that all day, there was this time when I was living here in Murfreesboro that I actually had to pull over on Broad Street because a song was moving me so much that I was like, stop, I want to experience this. The voice, the lyrics, the passion. This one was Rain by Patty Griffin. It's the first time I heard it, and I was like, I have to stop. And that was a moment where I was recognizing that transcending mystery and wonder. It moved me to a renewal of the spirit. The moments that I spent in theater rehearsals, even in this building, that moved me so deeply where I watched my fellow cast and crew members move with connection to create something beautiful. These are now spiritual experiences. There was a moment I stood looking at one of the most beautiful vistas I have ever encountered. I was on the edge of a lake next to a gorgeously green hillside in Scotland, speaking of Highland games, where I felt compelled to just outstretch my arms and welcome the awe-inspiring beauty and the ancient energy of that place. The first time I held my oldest nephew, when I was 20 years old, is now a memory of when I recognize the forces that create and uphold life. And spiritual experiences just weren't big moments like those either. They were just everywhere my happiest moments, my hardest moments, the everyday moments where I recognized true gratitude for my life or some aspect of it. These were now moments of inspiration, spiritual connection, opportunities for meaning making, which were now starting to appear to me as life-affirming moments. Inspiration, my friends, true spiritual connection is everywhere around us. It turns out I was never cut off from the source as I had feared my whole life. I actually, in some part, even a huge part, was the source. At the same time, I also had the authority to name sources of truth and blessing as much as I felt compelled to. I wasn't looking one place for God, divinity, or wholeness. It was everywhere. It was all things. And it wasn't all just a connection to God either because... A belief in God no longer feels like something I'm compelled to or required to have. It was a belief as simple as it could be that we are all sacred, we are all holy, and that we don't rely on any outside force to grant us this divinity. This realization also now meant that maybe, just maybe, I had it in me to start sharing my own spiritual questions and discoveries and insights with the world. Maybe I, too, was worthy of attention. 
To put it another way, and I'll go back to David Dark for this, who wrote, We are, each of us, libraries full of experience, sensations, words spoken for and against us, memories of joy and trauma, inexplicable scenes and unresolved stories. What insight might await us when we attempt to articulate it a little? This newfound spiritual literacy also gave me the ability to start looking at the art I loved with new eyes at first blush. Instead of looking backwards, I could start an exercise of gleaning meaning out of anything that moved me in the moment. How exciting. One early example on this journey was the discovery of a podcast in 2016 or so called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Did anyone else ever listen to this? They did the whole series. These are two, I think at the time they were Divinity School students. Years before, our connection to Harry Potter became a little fraught. There's stuff on their website about how they address that. This was a lighthearted, joyful exercise for both of them where they went and reread chapter by chapter to extract lessons and even spiritual teachings from those books. There's a playfulness to it and a that was as meaningful as it was novel. They didn't just love these books. These books to them were sacred. There was a sermon I heard in my home congregation that was Star Wars themed, that while on the surface seemed playful, was truly asking deep theological questions about the nature of the universe and our deep connection to everyone and everything. The force is very real. There was a concert in Chicago where I laid in the grass and listened to one of my favorite records played live and in full, and that wasn't a concert to me anymore. Now, this is another form of church. Inspiration is everywhere now. And it's not just inspiration, really, it's spirit. And I may not have the God of my youth to claim connection to, nor am I looking for it. Because now that spirit of life and love that I pray to is very real to me. It swirls through me and it sweeps through everything in my life. I no longer feel a desperate longing for connection. <sighs> that feels good to say. Because I learned that I was inherently connected. I just have to recognize it. My hope for all of you today is that you leave here curious and excited to name those sources in your own life, and that if you aren't in the practice of doing so already, your spiritual life becomes a little bit more alive as you make the effort to name what is life-affirming and recognize the forces, both internal and external, that help you make meaning in your lives. And I also encourage you to share those things with each other. Recognizing that sources for spiritual awakening and enlivening are everywhere, and that sharing those sources with each other is a love language, all its own. While we all experience periods of our lives where we feel disconnected, at least in part, we have so many varied paths back to connection. We don't have to rely on one path. We have many. As I approach my close, I also want to say that this entire exercise could be named as a simple gratitude practice. And that type of practice is just as much a source of spiritual strength as anything else. To pay attention to what sparks and strengthens our spirit is to be grateful. With this thought in mind, I'd like to close out my thoughts by sharing with you the words of someone else. Another of the countless voices that now offer me connection and guide me forward. The author of this closing reading is David White, and the reading is entitled Gratitude. It's from his book, Consolations. Checking my time. I had a lot typed out here of his words. Okay. The reading says, Gratitude is the understanding that many millions of things come together and live together and mesh together and breathe together in order for us to even take one more breath of air. 
that the underlying gift of life and incarnation as a living, participating human being is a privilege, that we are all miraculously part of something rather than nothing. Even if that something is temporarily pain or despair, we inhabit a living world with real faces, real voices, laughter, the color blue, the green of the fields, the freshness of a cold wind or the tawny hue of a winter landscape. To see the full miraculous essentiality of the color blue is to be grateful with no necessity for a word of thanks. To see fully the beauty of a daughter's face is to be fully grateful without having to ask or seek a God to thank him. To sit among friends and strangers, hearing many voices, strange opinions, to intuit inner lives beneath surface lives, to inhabit many worlds at once in this world, to be a someone amongst all other someones and therefore to make a conversation without saying a word is to deepen our sense of presence and therefore our natural sense of thankfulness that everything happens both with us and without us, that we are participants and witnesses all at once. May we all pay attention. May we all recognize our own inherent worth, dignity, and divinity. And may we always be open to inspiration, to love, and to spirit. May it be so.